The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. I'm delighted to be joined by someone who I uh, was a regular every week on the hard shoulder and elsewhere, Stephanie Regan, clinical psychotherapist, media contributor, and now one of the uh, hosts of a podcast called Tough Love. That's it. Tell me about it. Ivan, lovely to see you, first of all. And um, yeah, well, well, the, t- the Tough Love podcast has been doing really well for myself and Maraid Lockman. Um, she's a dating specialist and uh, kind of runs a, a matchmaking kind of service. And um, but what's like, really it sounds like how to break it off. I no, mean, she's kind of putting it together and I'm keeping them together. And uh, <laughs> it's more that, you know, and, and then I deal with all issues around relationships, both at the beginning, middle and end. But, you know, we just come at it from a completely different sort of perspective. You know, she's in her 30s, Obviously, I'm, you know, a mature woman and, you know, 60 plus. And I, I just think all that experience and the kind of two perspectives makes for a very interesting chat. And can you riddle me this? Because mm-hmm. I'm of a certain vintage now. So I have two sons and two daughters. OK. And they are aged from 29 to 36. OK. Right. And some of them are married and we have grandchildren and that's fine. Mm-hmm. But others and two of them are living in London. It's yeah. actually... Very, because they all say, oh, I tried this app and so on, a bad experience and yeah. uh, catfishes and oh, I don't know what the different things. But yes. the point about it is this, what that. happened to the old fashioned thing of just going to a pub or meeting someone socially? Mm. Will you have a drink uh, or meeting someone and just asking for a date? You know, if you meet yeah. them in a, a, in a business. Flirt. Like, why has all that changed? Well, why why is it so difficult for people to meet a partner? Yeah, well, I, th- I think there's two things now, you see, because the the whole sort of digital thing has come on board and 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 all of that the online has come come on board the kind of flirting and the chatting and all of that has kind of stopped. You know, there's a little bit of that. It's gone that has simultaneously gone downwards, if you like. So people are slow to chat up other, you know, women or men out there in the kind of workplace or otherwise, because it's all a little taboo. There's a lot more constriction around it. I think that's a factor. Now, of course, when people go out drinking, they chat up and, you know, in pubs and all of that. But in a way, when people go out, they do a lot of sort of hanging out with their girls or hanging out with yeah, their guys. I noticed that. They kind of don't. You know, that old thing you would remember years ago, you know, when, when a group of girls would go out, they would dance together or indeed a group of guys yeah. would do that, yeah. dance together. And that was a real signal that they weren't in shift mode you know they didn't really want to be talking to guys you know or otherwise and, 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 and it's a and bit like that we're going to go on to talk about something very sensitive <clears throat> serious, yes. uh, and serious uh, and sad but what would be someone who is single and lonely and they're over 30 yeah. what, what's your top tip <clears throat> to how to meet the, 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 the man or woman of your dreams uh, up your numbers um, don't I think one of the big things that people run into problems with women perhaps more than guys I often say to women you need to date like a man you need to uh, go out with more you know with more more on more dates and don't get over invested that's where women sometimes go wrong because they emotionally attach more easily I think and um, so so up the numbers um, be discerning but don't have that checklist you know, you have to you have to in the moment go with the date, have fun. I think people have have a very tight list that they hold on to about. You yeah, know, due the diligence. Guy. They're saying, "What's yeah. your income? What's your assets?" I mean, yeah. it's not a business transaction. Yeah, for let the sake. let the spark fly. It's a good time. Yeah, right. let the good time fly. We're okay. gonna we're gonna pivot to something because much uh, more Emer, my editor, said to me, "What would you like to talk to Stephanie mm-hmm. about?" And I've come across two cases recently in my own life yeah. of people, one in their thirties and one, uh, we'll say, a senior, mm-hmm. and they've been told they've returned from hospital, and they've been told, "You know what." 
uh, if you were my mother, the consultant says I wouldn't operate on you. And 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 ergo, you're actually facing a terminal illness. Mm-hmm. And what, you know, so <clears throat> the person says this to their friends or they say it to their parents. Yes. The news is bad. The yes. test results are bad. Yeah. There's nothing more they can do. Mm-hmm. Just navigate me through how people might try and cope with that as they're Loyal, supporting relatives and families in in a horrible situation. Yes. So uh, so what you're asking me is less what the experience is for the person themselves. Well, first of all, how people should react to it. Yes, how people should react to it. Exactly. Um, Well, the single absolutely overriding rule is that you you take the lead from the person who has got the news. In other words, you talk about what they want to talk about. So it's not what you, because you're going to have a big reaction too. You know, if it's your father, your mother, if it's if it's your sister or brother, you have a huge reaction too because it's we're all shocked. But this person is shocked more. And the person who has the news, they are the ones really carrying this. So the way you support them best, you let them lead completely. And maybe you try and open... The odd question, but you keep it very light and let them respond or not. Because what's going on for them is they're trying to take in the reality of this, the enormity of this news. And they it takes time for that news to come, even though a person may know it, as they say, verbally. They don't know it in their in their whole person, in, in deep in their kind of heart. They don't they don't feel it. So that's the kind of shock insulation factor that goes on both for them and then for family. So you're trying to navigate that space. And in that space, you have to just let time settle, give it a little bit of time. And in terms of supporting, I think what you have to say is things like this is your I will do whatever you want. I will take this. I I will uh, chat this out with you if you want. Otherwise, let's just go for a drink. Is that what you would like? You know, you just lead by them. Obviously, I've been down this road as well, like most of us have with, be it in my case, a sister. And and I would have just found always it was, what do you want? You know, is there anybody you want me to contact? Anybody, anything you want to do is, you know, you're just, and, and the other thing is that the person you're with who your loved one who has heard this news, I always say, don't start treating them differently. In a sense, they are they are still themselves to the day they close their eyes. And does it go through like bereavement phases? Yes. You know, shock, <clears throat> anger, yes. denial. Yes. Uh, why me? You know, just talk us through. Is there a, is there a clear there series a, of phases. There is a kind of a clear phase. It's not the thing about phases. People talk a lot about phases, but the point about phases is they are very individually set. They are very um, they're very personally driven. It depends. A few things really matter here. How sudden is that news? Remember, if if there's been many operations or there's been many procedures or many visits to hospital, there's a kind of an expectedness. You know, it's not a complete blindsidedness. That matters greatly to the level of shock that a person is going to feel. So if you've had two operations or, for example... It's almost incremental. It's incremental and there's a dawning. There's a little bit of a dawning. So that means shock won't be so high, number one. So, But shock would generally last anyway for weeks. We would think of weeks in, in that case where... 
where the person is, you know, get, takes time to kind of, you know, absorb what it is. And gradually what happens is when we talk about phases, they kind of slide to a next phase. In the shock phase, they're just a little bit numb, a little bit, uh, feel a bit distant, perhaps a little withdrawn, um, perhaps don't want to talk or perhaps wants to talk completely and doesn't want to, you know, talk about everything else and wants to deny it and ignore it and pretend it isn't there. And that's also fine because everybody has their own way. But gradually it slides to another point where they begin to really see the enormity of it. And we would call that the kind of realisation acknowledgement phase, you know, where, where it's, it's beginning to really hit home that this is, this is enormous and this is what this really does mean. And that's when people get more tearful, more anxious, more, you know, more in many ways emotional about it all. So it's often not in the first days and first weeks that they feel that way, but more in the second, you know, in the second phase. Then they move to a point where they realise that there are things I can do. You know, it's almost like absorbing it. There, there are things now that I need to do. And that's when they move to the point where maybe they think, well, I can't change this, but I can start looking at what I have now. And these are things I want to do. So that's really when the adapting is happening. And so those phases slide forward and back. One day you're a little more this way, a little more that way. But in general, it's fairly linear. And when people start talking about, I'd like to see such a one or I'd like to do this, I would call it they're in that adapting, much better phase and frame of mind. And that's where I suppose, suppose supporters, you know, loved ones, family feel better because they can do more for them. And on, on the net question that you, you, in the privacy of a doctor's surgery, you've got this desperate news. Yes. Should you tell or not? I, yes. I'm reading a text here. Mm. My late mum never told us of her illness, was mm. that it was terminal. And we found out just days before she passed. She was trying to save us uh, from the pain, but we wish we had shared it with us so we could have supported her emotionally as well yes. as physically. She was only 64 when she died. We still miss her dearly. Our sympathies to that listener. Yes. If it might, now we've pivoted to the advice to the person, to yes. the patient. Should should you be secretive about it? If you just don't want to have yeah. to explain it to everyone, well, you, you know, have to go right through to. the gory details. Yeah. So like some people would sort of just go into their shell. Mm. What's your advice to people? I would always advise people to share it. Yeah. No matter what. I, I, well, well, in general, I, I would, in, in, I mean, there may be exceptions to that rule somewhere, but in, in broad and general terms, if you don't why? share the news, if you, well, this, this, this lovely listener is, is just telling it's you exactly why. Because, because they are left not only grieving their mother, but they're left grieving the fact that they never could be honest support and help her. So they're left feeling that she was very alone with all of this. So when you don't share, you deny people the opportunity to support you and love you in the end. So I think it is a mistake not to okay. share that news. All right. Uh, and, and does it alter depending on the circumstances? In other words, if you're an octogenarian or if you're in your 20s, would you have a different approach? Um, would uh, I have a different advice? Yeah. Yes. Um, well, yes. I mean, there's lots of different factors there in age, of course. You know, as we all, as people get older, of course, death has visited them in many formats through, you know, people in the, the last Their contemporaries time. have died before yes. them. They kind of, and I, I find this, as yes. you think more about mortality, the yes. older you get. Of course. Because you can think, actually, I know more people that are in the grave than I know, mm. you know, because I would have met people yes. in politics in the 80s Indeed. and 90s and yeah. so on. And they were a lot older than me at the time. Yeah. And so therefore, you'd be kind of completely in denial if you didn't say, oh, this is catching up on me. You know what mm. I mean? So, I mean, like, but when it's someone 
yeah. who is maybe a young mother and gets a desperate diagnosis and then they try treatment and it doesn't work. Yes. It seems very unfair. On top of the, the fact none of us are getting out of here alive, yeah. it does seem very unfair. And and really you're saying, do we? Ch- of course it's unfair, but do you the talk? The difference of younger do people. Do you talk and do you tell? The shock is greater, the sadness is greater, they haven't had a life to live, of course. But still when it comes to telling, I think that you're what's quite interesting around this is no matter what you tell people, sometimes they can't take it in. So people only take in what they're able to take in. You will find that sometimes people will be told that somebody is dying, but they don't, they can't absorb it. So I think, you know, even with a young person, there's the, the principles are the same. People can't support you if they don't know. And then there's the other issue, which is palliative care. Yes. In other words, I think a lot of people their biggest concern, I don't want to be in pain. Mm. I mean, by focusing on palliative care, is that a positive? Well, of course. I mean, Making we've, provision we've, and planning. We've, we've planning. What we would always say is, is you're trying to help the person to feel some sense of control because it's the absence of control and, of course, the letting go, which is incredibly difficult. I mean, I'm not a specialist in palliative care, but I think we know the hospice is, is amazing. Yeah. And we have the we have a whole kind of centre there in the HSE which provides palliative care nationally and they're amazing. Anybody who's ever interfaced with either of these sort of institutions, amazing. Um, so, but what I would always be encouraging the person to do is to try, first of all, there's lots of help there. There's lots of support there. We put it, make sure that's clear. That's what all our cancer nurses do. Then what you're trying to do is give the person as much control in the life that they have before them. And, you know, time, I know sometimes the trajectory of time is fairly set. You know, sometimes they will actually say to you, it will be 16 weeks from now. Now, not a lot of doctors do that, but sometimes with some illnesses, they absolutely know. And that allows you to sort of make some some type of plan. But we all know that the end can come quicker than we think or indeed much further than we think, even where there's a terminal diagnosis. So you have to use the time you have in a positive way. And that's what you're trying to help the person to do. And it does make a difference. In the latter stages, Planning for your funeral. Like mm-hmm. I facetiously tell all my kids, I want to lie in state for three days. I want a state funeral. I want the all singing bells and whistles, the whole lot. And all of them to pay tribute to me. And, and they recoil in horror. Is it of help to people? Because, you know, you're gone, you're gone. What, what's your advice on planning for your final arrangements? Well, I don't know. I, I suppose I haven't thought about that one so much, but I do think that um, we, you're doing that facetiously, as you say. Maybe everybody at some point thinks about their funeral, but more they're thinking about how they will be remembered and who loves them and uh, and who, who will care. Um, so, but I, I'm personally, I think it is, it's useful to people if you can say things that are important to you. And if there's a terminal illness diagnosis, definitely it's useful to speak about it, to, to, to say have it goodbyes. the way you want it. Say your goodbyes. People, you know, we also say sometimes, you know, everybody has little grudges in life and, and people that have hurt them and people they've maybe cut out of their life for good reason, perhaps. But, you know, the end is not the time, I think, to discuss all those things. Just let it, let, let the love prevail and let the forgiveness prevail is very useful at those times. Uh, Stephanie Regan, author of Relationships on the Edge and host of the podcast. Check it out. Tough love. Always a pleasure to talk to you. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk.